evening, everybody. Let's generate our motivation. And again, feeling the preciousness of this life and how we don't know how long we have it. And with the possibility of a nuclear meltdown in Japan and the effect that will happen have not only on the environment but on people's way of thinking, people's way of behaving. We see that what is familiar can disappear very quickly. And the good conditions we have for practice can likewise disappear very quickly. So it's important while we have them to really use these conditions and especially to free our mind from the eight worldly concerns because that is they are such an obstacle to our practice. So really thinking, I don't have any time to get hung up in reacting to praise and blame. So we don't have any time to react to praise or blame. No time to waste on wondering if we have a good reputation or not, if people like us or don't, if they approve of us or don't. Because really the most essential, important thing is to put our mind and heart into the practice while we have that chance. And especially to cultivate the bodhicitta while we have the possibility of doing so by recalling the miseries of cyclic existence faced by ourselves and all others and the kindness that we've received from all others. And thereby really in our heart wanting to be of great benefit to them and knowing that becoming a Buddha is the best way to do that. And so then the only choice we have is a non-choice. There's nothing else to do but progress along the path to Buddhahood. So let's generate that motivation. And then thinking that the four establishments of mindfulness will help us generate the wisdom that is crucial for eliminating the ignorance that is the root of our cyclic existence. Then we'll listen and discuss the four establishments of mindfulness this evening. documents for you to download. I don't know. How do they find them? They're, they're on the page uh, that they're on right now and they're in a section that says more about the Abbey and they just copy okay. that, put it in a Word document. Okay. So go to the section that says more about the Abbey that's mm -hmm. at the bottom of the page that you're on now mm -hmm. and uh, the two documents are in there. One is quiz number two, and the other is the uh, root verses from Shanti Deva's text. So copy those into a Word doc, and then you can print them out or read them on the computer or whatever as you watch. So um, the 
let's just look at the the quiz, the first one. Um, so there's eleven questions on it. I think I didn't proofread it before I printed it out, so please excuse me if nothing makes sense. But I think you can probably figure out what the questions are. Okay, so what's the meaning of mindfulness? Is it the same as bare attention? Give uh, examples. That needs an S. Examples of how to use it in daily life and in meditation. And then similarly, what is introspective awareness? With a question mark. Give examples of how to use it in daily life and meditation. Then three is, what are the six stages of meditation on the breath from the treasury of knowledge? So we covered that at the beginning, but it wasn't included on the previous quiz. And then uh, four is, what is mind? What are the divisions of mind? What's the ultimate nature of mind? Five is, describe the ways to meditate on the mindfulness of the mind. Six, how does being aware of the subtle impermanence of the mind reduce fear at the time of death? Seven, how does meditating on the mindfulness of the mind lead to understanding true cessations? What does phenomena principally uh, refer to in the mindfulness of phenomena? And why is that the specific object that's referred to? And then how do we meditate on the uh, mental factors? How does meditating on mindfulness of phenomena lead to understanding the true path? And then 11, how does the way the hearers and solitary realizers meditate on the four establishments of mindfulness differ from the way bodhisattvas meditate on them? And how is the bodhisattva way of meditating on them superior? Okay, so when you first do this, go back, go and without looking at any of your notes or anything, just write down what you remember, you know, from as much as you've studied and recalled so far. And when you finish going through it, then go back again with your notes or listening to the talks again and fill in all the different things. Okay, because this is a uh, the purpose of the quiz is to help you learn the material. Yeah, because you have to learn the material in order to meditate on it. Okay? Good. Then we will go on, because uh, what we've covered so far in that text, um, the one by Gyalachiki Gyaltsen, um, you know, that is the commentary on the um, four uh, establishments of mindfulness. Uh, that presentation is the, the course, the gross presentation. I put in a lot of the Prasangika subtle interpretation in there, but um, you know, also did it from the point of view that's acceptable to all the Buddhist schools. Now we're going to go into the particular um, Prasangika view on these, and this is called the subtle uh, for establishments of mindfulness. Okay? So this is taken from Shanti Deva's text, Engaging in the Bodhisattva's Deeds. And that text is also on the bottom of your page. You can download it. And uh, earlier, it's in Chapter 9, and just before this section on, uh, was the section on the selflessness of the persons, because usually we talk of two selflessnesses, selflessness of the persons and selflessness of phenomena, principally referring to the aggregates that the person is labeled in dependence upon. And so um, previously, the section just prior to this was on the selflessness of, of um, persons, okay? Because that's said to be easier to uh, realize than the selflessness of phenomena, okay? And then, um, then the section that this is from is the selflessness of phenomena in relation to the establishment of mindfulness of the body, feelings, mind, and phenomena. Okay, so this starts with um, verse 78, and it goes through, I believe, verse 104. 
105. Yeah. Through and including verse 105. Okay? So the first section is the selflessness of phenomena in relationship to the establishment of the mindfulness of the body. Okay? So before we get into specifically the body, we're going to be refuting uh, true existence or inherent existence. To the prasangikas, these terms are synonymous. And they're synonymous with substantial existence, existing from its own side, existing under its own power, um, you know, all these kinds of terms, existing by its own characteristics. Uh, from the prasangika view, all these terms mean exactly the same thing. From the viewpoint of the lower schools, these terms may have different meanings, and the lower schools will accept some uh, as true, and some others they will refute. Okay, but we're talking from the Prasangika view. So here when I'm talking about true existence and here in existence, it means the same thing. And what it means here is independent existence. And again, independent in the Prasangika view has a particular meaning that's different, let's say, in, than the meaning of independent in, in other situations. So here, independent means, independently existent, existing means something that exists without depending on other, any other phenomena. Okay? So it exists uh, under its own power. Okay? Inherently, by its own nature, um, you know, from its own side, it doesn't depend on anything else. Okay, so it doesn't depend on uh, having causes and conditions. Yeah, something that exists independently or inherently doesn't depend on causes and conditions. Because you see, independent existence, okay, is the, is, is the opposite of and mutually contradictory with dependent existence. Okay, so there's only two choices of how things can exist, either dependently or independently. There's no third option. Okay, so something's either dependently existent or independently existent. Okay, so if we look at, at independent existence and negate it, then the only other option is that things exist dependently. Similarly, if we can look at dependent existence and establish that this is the way things do exist, then independent existence is tossed out the window because it's impossible. Something can't be both dependent and independent. So if we establish dependence, we negate independence. So... Things uh, that are independent, they don't depend on causes and conditions, okay? which means that they would have to be permanent. They would have to be static and unchanging because anything that depends on causes and conditions is changing moment by moment because simply by the causal energy being there and disappearing, then the resultant thing arises and disintegrates as well, okay? So something that, is, that depends on causes and conditions is necessarily impermanent. Impermanent meaning changing moment by moment without it remaining the same. And thus something that is independent doesn't depend on causes and conditions, which means that it would be permanent and static and, you know, causes and conditions wouldn't affect it. It wouldn't change at all. Okay? So this is helping us understand what independent or inherent existence means. Something that is independent also doesn't depend on parts. Yeah? Because if something depends on parts, then again it's dependent. It can't be independent. Okay? So something that is independent would, you know, have no parts or it would be the same as its parts. Yeah? Because it's not dependent on its parts in any way. 
Okay. Um, something that is independent also doesn't exist situated in an environment where it is um, it can be labeled and seen and identified as something different than what's around it. So all of you who haven't met Maitri, here she is. <laughs> so <laughs> something that is independent <laughs> doesn't have parts. It doesn't have a tail. It can't have a body or legs or head or ears or whiskers or eyes. It exists independent of its parts. And it also exists independent of everything in the environment. Okay. One of the reasons we could identify Maitri is because we know that this thing here is not her. And one of the reasons she has the meaning and function she has is in relationship to all the things that aren't her. Okay? So we can identify uh, a cat because we can identify other sentient beings. We can identify what isn't a sentient being. Okay? We can identify things because they exist, you know, in relationship to other things. Yeah. The animal realm exists independent on the human realm and the God realm and the hell realm and you know all the other realms. We can't make it out separately. So it exists in relationship to other things. Okay? So something that's independent isn't embedded in a uh, in a relation so uh, a relational um, environment. Yeah, it exists all by itself and can be identified all by itself without having to have different functions that relate to different things in the environment. Yeah, you see what I mean? It's quite interesting to think about, you know, when you think about inherent existence. You know, how we identify something is because it performs a certain function and that function only exists in relationship to everything else in the environment. Okay? So something that's independent doesn't exist in, in that relationship. Okay? Yeah? So, you know, we can identify Maitri as a cat and ourselves as human beings in relationship to each other. Yeah? Cats have certain functions. We identify them in relationship to meow and in relationship to different things getting broken (laughs) (laughs) and in relationship to something soft and cuddly that you like to pet okay so that's how we we identify these things in you know okay so uh something that is uh independent also does not depend on our mind putting together the different pieces and relating it to the environment and developing a conception of this object and its function and giving it a name as a shortcut. Okay? So, because, you know, depending on term and concept, again, if something depends on term and concept, it's dependent. It can't be independent. Yeah, it can't exist inherently if, de- if it depends on term and concept. Yeah. But, yeah, if, if we look and say, cat, she isn't in here now when I need her to stand up here. <laughs> um, but we, uh, you know, we label cat independence upon certain parts, a certain shape, certain sounds, certain actions, yeah. And our mind puts all those things together and invents a sound to use as a shortcut to identify that thing. Mm -hmm. Instead of saying, you know, that uh, 
predominantly gray furry thing with some white here and white here and white whiskers and a long tail who likes to play at 11 o'clock at night when you want to go to bed (laughs) is walking across the room. You know, that's kind of long to say. So we develop a shortcut and we say Maitri. Okay? So it's dependent on the conception that exists in relationship to everything else and the term that we give it. Okay? So that you, I'm talking about this so that you get an idea of what it is we're, we're negating when we talk about negating inherent or true existence. Yeah? Something that's independent. Now, the, our difficulty is that we were born with this ignorance that grasps things as truly existent. And we're so used to seeing things in that way that we don't even recognize that we're doing it. We don't even consider that the way things appear to us may be different from the way they exist. We just assume that what we perceive is reality. Okay, And this happens on many levels, on a very gross level, when somebody is talking to us and they say certain words, you know, it appears to us. We were seeing in NVC how difficult it is to describe just exactly what happens because we don't say, you know, I walked in the room and the person opened their mouth and the words came out, you are a jerk. We say, I walked in this room and this idiot criticized me. Okay, which is all our interpretation. Yeah, so on that very gross level, we think that's how that person exists and that's how their words exist. That their words are inherent criticism, that they definitely had the intention to harm us. And they did it at exactly the right time when they knew it would hurt us the most. And we are completely innocent. So all those kinds of assumptions exist in us. And we assume that how things appear to us, they really exist that way. When in actual fact on that level, it's completely our mind's interpretation. We're making it up. Now that is a very gross example. Okay? Because if we dissect it even more... You know, forget criticism and doing it deliberately and all of that. When we look at that person, we think that person exists inherently and is a truly existent person. Just being a person, not even that they're a truly existent idiot, but they're a truly existent person. Okay? And not just that those words are truly existent criticism, but those words have truly existent meaning. Okay? So this is even a little bit more subtle because we're questioning how the object itself exists. You know, not how we're interpreting the object, but how the object itself is existing. But on both levels, our false interpretation and on the subtler level of how that object exists, in both ways, we are hallucinating and things don't exist the way they appear to us. Okay? So we're going to look now more at like how we assume things exist. Yeah? How they appear to us, and if they actually existed as they appeared to us, you know, then what would be the outcome of that? Okay? So, the appearance of true existence, yeah? And like I was saying, it's hard for us to identify because we're so used to it. We don't see it at all. But it's an object existing somewhere within its basis of designation, not being one with the base, but not being different, 
but existing kind of mixed in with its basis. Okay? So you see a person, and it seems like there's a real person somewhere in that body and mind. You, you know, you aren't analyzing in particular, but you see that body and you, you know, you have a clue that there's a mind because they're speaking and walking. So somewhere in there, there is a person that, ha- that has its own essence, that exists by its own power, that is essentially real. Okay? And that's the way people appear to us, isn't it? You know? There's so-and-so. And there's a real person there with a real personality. Okay? Similarly, when we look at any object, you know, if we look at the, at the um, you know, at a tissue or a cup, it's a real tissue. It's a real cup. When we look at our body, it's a real body. Okay? Our feelings are real feelings. So we think that all these things exist from their own side. They, they appear to us that way. We agree and assent to that appearance and grasp that appearance is true. Okay? So um, when we're normally going about our day, that, you know, we may have more trouble identifying that appearance, but they say that we can identify uh, the, the object that, that, um, that ignorance is grasping, the, the, the true existence, we can identify it more clearly when we have a really strong emotion. Okay? So, for, for example, when you're really attached to a person, you know, Prince Charming is there, finally. He's so wonderful. When you think of him and you look at him, there he is, right there in front of you, truly, right? Yeah? And like, boing, we're head over heels because there's a real Prince Charming there. Or Princess Charming. Okay. But they're real. Yeah? And we believe it. And similarly, you know, if we get a check, yeah, $10,000... Wow! You know, this is a truly existent check that is worth so much. Truly existent lights coming. Yeah. (laughs) So everything looks like it has its own nature. Yeah. Independent of everything else. Yeah. This is light by its own nature. It doesn't depend on darkness. It doesn't depend on electricity. It, it's light from its own side. Okay? So, in all these ways, you know, things appear to us to truly exist, and we grasp that true existence. We hold that. Okay? Similarly, when we're angry, it's, it's easier to identify the true existence, because when you don't like somebody, for a person, for example, you know, they are really, you know, there's definitely a person there. Yeah. They're not something like an illusion, you know. So your boyfriend, when he dumps you, is just as truly existent as when he first proposed to you. He's out there. Yeah, you're not smiling this time. <laughs> yeah? I talk about Prince Charming. Everybody likes that example. I talk about him dumping us. Whoa. Yeah. But what, whichever, whatever he's doing, he's, ex- you know, in, in both of those instances when we're having some strong emotion, He's appearing the same way, so real from his own side. <laughs> okay? And so similarly, everything, not just a person, but, you know, that person's body, their feelings, their mind, their personality, everything appears so real, and we agree with that. Okay? So, 
uh, this is what we're going to explore. You know, do all these things really exist as they appear? And here in particular, you know, we're looking at phenomena which are the basis of designation of the person. The phenomena, the body, the feelings, the mind, and phenomena. We're examining all of those. Because if none of those truly exist, then how are we going to find a truly existent person? Because we only identify a person in relationship to body, feelings, mind, or phenomena. So if they aren't truly existent, a truly existent person can't be found in them. Okay? Okay. So... Shantideva begins this section. So verse 78. A body is neither the feet nor the calves, nor is a body the thighs or the hips. Neither the belly nor the back is the body, nor is a body the chest or the arms. The sides of the torso and the hands are not a body, nor is a body the armpits or the shoulders. The visceral organs also are not it, and neither is a body the head nor the neck. So what then is a body? So you remember when we did mindfulness of the body, that one week when I was gone, Venerable Tarpet presented looking at the, the 32 or 36 organs of the body. Okay? So when you look at each organ of the body, each part of the body. Many of them are listed here. Um, Some of them aren't. It doesn't matter. You can use whatever list you want to. But if you look at any of those parts of the body, are any of them a body? Okay. Are any of them a body? Now, when somebody walks in a room... You you look and you say, there's a body. Okay. Now, if that body were truly existent, we should be able to find it. Because something that exists in and of itself, under its own power, from its own side, without depending on anything else, something that exists that way, we can we should be able to search for it and find exactly what it is because it doesn't depend on anything else. It's self-contained. It's self-existent. Okay, it's, con- it's yeah, self-contained is a very good adjective for that. Completely there. So we should be able to find it when we examine it. Because it doesn't depend on anything else. It's just self-contained there. If we take the body, you take Prince Charming's body. Okay, got a good image of Prince Charming? Then you, you start asking, what is his body? Now we might instantly go to his face, because we're often attracted to people by their face. Okay. So you separate his head from his body and look at that gorgeous head. (laughs) Is that a body? No. No, it isn't, is it? Maybe his chest is, you know, broad shoulders... Or maybe you like narrow shoulders, whatever it is you like, you know. Then those shoulders, oh, such nice looking shoulders. Are his shoulders his body? No. Okay, what about his pancreas? <laughs> Is that his body? Is that the good-looking body that, you know, you think is so great? That pancreas, wow. (laughs) What a good-looking pancreas. 
So if we start going through Prince Charming's entire body, looking for what it is that is the body, can we find something that we can identify as a body? You know, we can't. Now we feel very strongly, I have a body. This is my body. I have a body. And sit in your meditation and try and identify what is your body. <clears throat> Take that head. Just that head. Yeah, everything else doesn't exist. Just that head. We all know what our own head looks like. We look at it every day in the mirror. Is that a body? Is that head a body? Okay. What about my shoulders? My shoulders a body. What about my kidneys? Are they my body? Yeah. Show off your kidneys to attract somebody. <laughs> okay? When we look at any part of our, you know, a part of our own body, can we find one part that is a body? No. Okay? So then imagine taking your whole body and you dissect it into different parts. Your body, Prince Charming's body, it doesn't matter. <clears throat> Here's a couple of eyeballs and a couple of ears and, of course, that pancreas and those kidneys and the stomach and the bile duct and the, um, you know, the muscles and some marrow, okay, and esophagus. Wow, look at that esophagus. The lungs, <laughs> some lips, just the lips. <laughs> lips are over here, you know, the cheeks are over here, the back of the head's over here, the brain's here. Okay. Huh? Uh, yeah, and the skeleton, all the bones, they're kind of sprinkled around. Yeah. So, before we spread them out like that, we had a body, right, didn't we? I have a body, Prince Charming has a body. When we, ta when we take that thing that is the body and just rearrange the parts and put the parts in a different order... Do we have a body? No, we don't. Each of the parts of the body is not a body. So we might think, well, it's the collection of the parts that is the body. But if each part is not a body, how can you take a collection of non-bodies and make it into a body? It would be the same as taking a collection of, of apples and saying it was a grapefruit. Okay, Because each part is not a body, so the collection can't be a body either. Because the collection is just a group of non-bodies. And non-bodies don't make a body. Okay. So wherever we look, you know, in this body, to find a body, we can't find a body. Okay. So how does this body exist? Yeah. The body exists dependently, doesn't it? What we call a body, when we look at something and say, oh, there's his body, there's my body. What we call a body 
is something that is dependent on different parts. It's dependent on the parts being arranged in a certain way. And it's also dependent on somebody looking at that, putting the pieces together conceptually, and calling it a body. Because if you just had, it, it, like, I find it very interesting, you know, here are all the parts of the body out there, and you look at them, and each one, you know, that's not a body, that's not a body, that's not a body, that's not a body. And you get it so clear in your mind that each one of them is not a body. And then you just put them together in an arrangement. And are they are their body then? If you look at the whole arrangement, but you're looking at it part by part by part, you don't see a body. When you look at it in a different way, oh, there's a body there. What is it that happened there between when it wasn't a body and now it's a body because the same things are there? The only thing that changed is how we're looking at it. That all of a sudden we put, it was like something went zoop. And what's going zoop is our mind conceptualizing those things and giving it a name. It's like when you look at an Escher painting. Yeah? You, you look at, at something and oh, there's a... I, for, I forget what the painting... But, you know, you look at something and, oh, there's a staircase. And then you look at a different way and there's a hand, you know, and it's the same thing, but... Yeah, the same lines, but and the same colors, and nothing's changed there. Mm -hmm. But what I'm seeing changed according to how I put the parts together, conceptualized them, and gave them the name. Okay? So we can see very clearly how does the body exist depends on parts. It depends on being conceived and given a label. Okay? And the body also depends on causes. It didn't come out of nowhere. Yeah. So often we have the feeling, there's my body, you know, there it is, it's just there. But is it just there? Did it get there without anything happening? No, you know, the body happens to be there because the causes and conditions for the body were there. Okay, that body doesn't exist independent of the causes and conditions. That body, you know, Prince Charming's body depends on that itty-bitty embryo yeah, that was inside his mother's womb. Doesn't it? And it depends on all the stuff he ate. from the time of that itty-bitty embryo until that time you see, you know. So that body depends on so many causes and conditions. So when we look at it like this, if we ask, how does the body exist, we see so clearly the body exists dependently on so many different things. It's not just there, identifiable, as a body without identifying anything else or without relating to anything else. Yeah? So when we see that, then we see that the body can't have its own essence that makes it a body independent of everything else. It does not exist that way. So how it appears to us to exist is false. Okay. There's still a body, but the way it appears is false. 
doesn't exist the way it appears. Because when we look for what it is, we can't find anything. When we don't look, there's an appearance. But when we look, it vanishes. Okay? Kind of like, there you have it, there you don't. Yeah. Really kind of weird. Okay? Okay, then the next verse. (laughs) If this body were located with a portion in each of these parts, and its parts are located in their parts, where does it stand by itself? That's verse 80. So here, if we think of a body as a single unit, a body, one single thing, one unit, okay, And we ask, yeah, does a portion of this body exist in each part? Or does the whole body exist in each part? Okay. Now, if a portion of the body existed in each part, would we have a body... One portion of the body exists in my arm. Another portion of the body exists in my hand. Another part of the body exists in my vocal cords. Another part of the body exists in my femur. Can we identify a body that way? No. Okay. So if there's only a portion of the body in each part we still don't have a body. We only have many portions of a body. We don't have a body. On the other hand, if a whole body existed in each part, okay, if this were a body, a whole body existed here, and a whole body existed here, and a whole body here, and a whole body here, and my Short, my small intestine was a body, and it was a whole body. A whole body existed in my small intestine, and a whole body in my large intestine. Then we would have many, many bodies, wouldn't we? Because just as we have many parts, if each part is a whole body, then we have many bodies. But when you look, there's only one body. Okay, so we're analyzing here, how does the whole, the body, relate to the parts? It's a very common analysis to see if things are truly existent. What's the relationship between the whole and the parts? Are the parts the whole? Can you find the whole in the parts? Is each part a portion of the whole? Is each part a whole, whole, the entire whole? Okay. So when we do this kind of analysis, looking for the body in this way, we still can't find a body, can we? Because if a portion of a body existed in each part, we still just have a bunch of portions of a body. We still don't have a body. If a whole body existed in each part, then we have many bodies. Okay? So how does this body exist in relationship to the parts? Yeah. How does this body exist in relationship to its parts? Can you find the body in a part? Can you find a body separate from the part? What's the relationship there? Because when we really search and investigate, we can't find the body in a part. We can't find a body separate from a part. But this body that we were so sure existed, Does it really exist the way we think it does? 
you know. Go back to Prince Charming, you know, when you saw his good-looking bod, wow, there it was. Yeah, it looks so real. Outside, independent. But what is it? When you search for it, what is it? When we look at our own body, my body, I cherish my body so much. I never want to be separated from it. It's the essence of meanness. Yeah? You know, what's the relationship between your body and the parts of the body? Can you identify a body here? Do you get some kind of weird feeling trying to search for your body and seeing just a bunch of parts and no body? I have a body. Wait a minute, there's just a bunch of non-bodies here. There's just a bunch of things that are not a body here. My ribs, my mesentery, my lungs, all the tendons. Yeah, paste some skin on it. Yeah. Tack some hair. (laughs) Where's my body? Feels different, doesn't it? What is this body? And then go a step further. What is mine about this body? We always say, my body. What in the world is mine about this body? Yeah. Just a bunch of ribs. Okay. And then all your um, spinal, what do you call the parts of the spine? Vertebrae. Vertebrae. All the different vertebrae. Yeah. Kind of a bunch of muscles. Even this face, we always think, oh, I have a face. Well, take off the skin, and there's just all this muscles there. Then these lips that got pasted on. <laughs> then uh, cartilage from your nose. You know, stick that on. Put a bunch of other tissue there. <laughs> yeah. Take a couple of eyeballs that are lying on the counter, glue them in. Yeah. What's my body? What is my face? What is mine about it? And why in the world am I so attached to it? That does not make any sense at all. You know, and Prince Charming's body, why am I attached to that? Or Princess Charming. Who was it? Was was it Snow White and Prince Charming? Or not Rapunzel? Cinderella. Cinderella. Okay. Okay, so Cinderella just walked in the room. What's a body about Cinderella. Snow White had one too. Huh? Snow White had Prince Charming too. Snow White had Prince. Both of them had Prince Charming? Oh yeah. Both of them woke her up. Yeah. It must have been Buddha. <laughs> Until I have awakened. <laughs> she woke up. Be interesting to read the fairy tale from that viewpoint, wouldn't it? <laughs> the seven dwarves are the seven enlightenment factors. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, so, okay. Any questions? I just wanted to say that I 
just yeah. a comment. When uh-huh. you've been speaking about this, what my mind has been doing is um, it keeps bringing up this, really it's vague, but nonetheless this notion about kind of the gestalt of that yeah. you put all this together and somehow, you know, right. it's, it's more than... Parts. parts. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so this is, yeah, we have very much this, this concept. You know, there's a gestalt. You put the bo- parts of the body there. You put the parts of anything there. And the whole is more than the sum of its parts. But what we look when we do this analysis is that the only thing that is more than the sum of its parts is what is coming from our mind imputed on it. Yeah. Okay, it is more than the sum of its parts. Yeah, the sum of its parts, there's just parts of a body, there's not a body. What, what is more than the sum of the parts? The body? Where did that body come from? My mind conceiving and labeling it. If I didn't do that, it would still be parts of the body. Yeah. So when you look at it, and this idea of the, the gestalt is more than the sum of the parts, whatever there is more is what we put on it, not something that comes from its own side, not something out there that, that is real and objective appearing to us, but something that we've projected onto it and put on it. Then on the other side, when you says, you know, there's the whole body in this, then mm-hmm. my mind went to, you know, DNA and chromosomes and, you know, oh. all of the, the <laughs> pattern all is right. in there. Okay, okay. <laughs> so then when we said the body was in here, then your mind says, oh, yeah, that's true. Because all the DNA are there in the chromosomes. And if you take out those... Avery chromosomes, you kind of pull them out, I don't know, with a pair of tweezers or something, then that has the possibility to make a whole body. But if you hold that chromosome there, chromosome magnified, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, if you hold that chromosome there, is that a body? Is the body in any of the little genes on the chromosome? It's not, is it? So sure, there might be genes in there and chromosomes, but they're still not a body, are they? Yeah? Someone asked a question on online. Um, There's technical difficulties and they may not have heard the answer you just gave. But um, the question is that we're talking semantics, bodies are made of parts, the sum of the parts is the body. And what's the question? Are we talking semantics? Oh, are we talking semantics? And and then they said what? The, 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 the bodies are made of parts. The bodies are made of parts, and the sum of the parts are the body. Okay? We're not just talking semantics. We're talking about what really is the body. How does the body really exist? Yeah. The sum of the parts is the body. So then again, we bring all the parts together in one big heap. We still don't have a body, do we? It's not just the sum of the parts of the body. What makes it a body is our conceiving of it and giving it a label. It's not semantics. When I was in, uh, leading a retreat in Israel, we did a uh, the we had a retreat at the at a kibbutz that was right on the border with Jordan, and there was a fence, you know, quite near the me- what we transformed into the meditation hall. Okay, and on this side of the fence there's sand, and on that side of the fence there's sand. Okay, and this sand is Israel, and that sand is Jordan. Okay.
Okay. Now, and, and people fight about this. People fight big time about this. Which grain of sand is Israel and which grain of sand is Jordan? Okay. But if you, you know, if you say, well, the pile of grains of sand are Israel and these pile of grains of sand are Jordan, then if you move the fence 10 feet this way or 10 feet this way, doesn't which grand the you know which grains of sand are Jordan and which grains of sand are Israel change? Yeah, but if the sum of the parts were that object, it couldn't change. This sand could not be one day be Israel, next day be Jordan, or one day be Jordan and the next day be Israel. Okay, because they would have to have their own inherent nature there. If you think about it, you know, it seems like we're talking just semantics. But if you think about it, a lot of the things that we quarrel about are what we call different objects. And we don't feel like we're just talking semantics and quarreling over semantics. Um, There's a bug back there. Okay. That bug does not feel like a semantic. (laughs) You know, from the point of view of that bug, I am real. Okay. But if she ate, that the kitty ate the bug, then the bug would become part of the kitty. That couldn't happen. I mean, we eat broccoli, and the broccoli becomes our body. It's the same thing. You you eat meat, and that cow becomes part of, part of your body. It becomes your body. <laughs> yeah. So if you say the sum of the parts is the object then you put together a heap of all the food you've ever eaten and a few chromosomes, and there you have a body. So you see, it's, it's not just semantics. It's how we think things exist. And just look, I mean, how things change as soon as you give them a label. Yeah. Think about how an object appears when it's in the store and when it comes home and you say, this is mine. On one hand, it's, it's just semantics. We attach the label mine to it, that's all. Nothing different. But people will go to court about this and people will go to prison about it. So it's not just words, it's the meaning that we give to these things. But a lot of what we quarrel over are the labels that we give to different things. Because we think those things have an essence independent all of their own. But they don't. They don't. Okay. So think about that and then we will continue. Same time, same place, if we're still alive. Let's hope we are. So um, do the, the quiz in this, this ensuing week, and then we'll start going through the answers of the quizzes in review. May the spiritual teachers who lead me on the sacred path and all spiritual friends who practice it have long life. May I pacify completely all outer and inner hindrances. Grant such inspiration, I pray. May the lives of the venerable spiritual masters be stable. 
and their divine actions spread in the ten directions. May the light of Lohsam's teachings dispelling the darkness of the beings in the three worlds always increase. Giratna Mandala Kamiryatayami Due to this merit may we soon Attain the enlightened state of Guru Buddha That we may be able to liberate All sentient beings from their suffering May the precious Bodhi mind not yet born arise and grow May that born have no decline, but increase forevermore in the snowy mountain pure land. You're the source of good and happiness, powerful Tenzing Yatso Chenrezi. May you stay until samsara ends. May the deeds of explaining and practicing the Dharma done by groups supporting the teachings and their upholders, who spread the view of dependent arising and non-violent actions in the ten directions, and especially at Shravasti Abbey in the West Flourish.